Good morning. Uh, our uh, facilities manager came in today after the first service and fear struck his heart. He goes, oh, I left the ladder on the stage. No, we put it there on purpose. <clears throat> so if some of you are out there going, look at all the clutter on the stage. That's here for our object lesson. Well, we have been uh, started this, this month series because at the end of the month, uh, the apologist Ravi Zacharias was coming and we're celebrating it, the show that he has, Let My People Think. He has on the radio uh, every day. Well, he's having some health concerns with his voice and so he's not coming. So we're celebrating him not coming. Come on! <laughs> We've, we were thinking of dressing someone up, you know, like a Chinese guy. And, and when people came, they come and they don't see Ravi Zacharias. We're going, oh, Ravi, this is Bobby Zachariah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry you got... Oh, But we're going to continue with it. Um, I don't know if any of you have had the privilege to sit with apologists, uh, theologians. They are fascinating. If they teach for about an hour, um, or if, if you listen to a tape, they'll teach for an hour, and then you have about two hours trying to figure out what words they used and what they meant. Um, terms, it's, it's exhilarating. You're going, wow. And that's the way it is with, with uh, Ravi. He's just a brilliant, I mean, just intelligent uh, led by God, and what you're going to see today is me taking one of his subjects and putting it in my wheelhouse. Now, what I'm going to do is brilliant, because I'm taking something that is incredibly intelligent, and I'm making it very simple. That's what brilliance is, to take the difficult and make it simple. That's my wheelhouse. So we're, <laughs> we're going for it. What I've done is I've taken a little bit. Of, one of the things about uh, Indians, they tell stories. Uh, that's their culture, that they tell stories. And there's just something about the accent and everything. And uh, Ravi opens up a, a teaching that he, he gave in 1991 that I heard uh, about an experience he had. And so let's have it. I well recall some months ago while I was doing some studies at Cambridge University how the entire campus was buzzing with expectation. There was a sense of tremendous anticipation because they were going to listen to the man who is considered the greatest theoretical physicist since Einstein and I'm talking to you about Stephen Hawking. His book, A Brief History of Time, has stopped the charts for years and has been in the bestseller list in Great Britain longer than any other book up till this point, where he gives his entire scientific and philosophical view of how this world came into being and why we are here. Stephen Hawking, as many of you know, is a victim of Lou Gehrig's disease. He cannot even speak. He has no voice. Twenty years ago, the doctor told him he would not be living too long, but he has defied all odds. He holds the Lucasian Chair for Mathematics at Cambridge University, once upon a time held by Sir Isaac Newton. This man is a genius in every scientific sense of the term. One of his secretaries testified that on a single occasion, she dictated to him 
46 pages of notes of equations back to back without a single piece of paper in front of him. And then halfway through he backed up and went back about 20 pages recognizing he'd made one mistake along the way. He has no voice. How does he speak? Courtesy of one of California's prestigious institutions, they have designed for him a computer because the only movement capacity he has is an index finger that moves about one millimeter. And by the moving of that index finger to one millimeter, he is able to trigger a mechanism that brings before him a series of words, make his word selection, build it into a sentence, and then through a speech synthesizer, his voice comes through the microphone system there that you can hear all by the movement of one index finger for one millimeter. And I phoned his office afterwards and I said to his secretary, what happens if that movement goes too? And she says, we have a backup system where an infrared ray is beamed into his eye and by the blinking of that eyelid, he can keep that mechanism going. I mention all this to you to tell you that there was something ironic about his subject. He was going to be dealing with the question, is man determined? Is there a design? Is there some pattern that reflects a designer or some kind of a design even in the naturalistic sense? Is man determined and designed or is he free in a sense uh, somehow through a different series of processes? And as we waited, it was a packed audience. You could get in there by invitation only. Press reporters waiting to listen to this great talk. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, when he was finished, there was a stunned silence in that room, almost wondering, is this all there is to it? Because he said this, yes, we have been designed. But since we do not know what the design is, we may as well not be. And wow. then he said this, my only fear for mankind is this. Wow. He said, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. And natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. And my hope is that somehow we can keep from eating each other up for another 100 years. At that point, science would have devised a scheme to take all of us into the different planets of the universe and no one atrocity would destroy all of us at the same time. Did you hear that? The most brilliant scientist of our time. We are this determined, but since we do not know what it is, we may as well not be. And his only hope is that we keep from eating each other up for another 100 years, because by that point, we'll be scattered to other planets, and no one atrocity or uh, tragedy will devour all of us at the same time. What's amazing is what we're going to point out here in the beginning is that there is, a, there is an attack by the secular world upon Christians. Christians are considered to be, oh, science haters. But what the world doesn't want to recognize is that science, in many, many cases, is proving. They believe that, I just read last week, that they believe they found um, Jericho. And they said, oh, it used to be, a, that was a myth. 
And they said, no, no, they think they found it. They are going back to the Bible and they are going to seeing how far a person can march at your walk. And they're discovering cities in the Old Testament that they thought were just myths and stories. They're actually finding these things. But the truth of the matter is, is that what we want to do is reveal that the secular world is not playing by the rules. They're not playing fair. And people are just accepting their thoughts and their philosophy. We're going to expose today. Here it is, one of the most brilliant. You have to admit, Stephen Hawking is just absolutely brilliant when it comes to physics. But because he does not believe in God, he's an atheist, he will not accept other truths that are right before you because they say that something is greater than what you can see, what you, and I'm like, well, that's what the church has been saying. You're going to prove God. Wait till you see the abomination that scientists go to, and they are open about it, yet no one reports it. One of a world-renowned world paleontologist, he also uh, is an uh, evolutionary biologist. This is his job. He's written many books, but the, the, the book that he wrote that is the go-to for all those who are studying evolution is Stephen Jay Gould. And this is what he has to say. We're gonna, I'm going to spend a little time on it because if you just read through it, you miss so much in this, this one small chapter. It says, we are here because one odd group of fishes had a particular fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. Number one, there is no physical evidence. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but there is no physical evidence that that happened. Because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age, because a small and tenuous species arose in Africa a quarter of a million years ago, he knows how long ago it was, although we have no physical evidence of it, has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. You may yearn, now here's the important, you may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. What he's saying right here, there's no God. There is no design, so no one out there giving this a design or a purpose. It just happened. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, here's why it's terrifying, because there's no evidence for this. It's, they're going, give us the evidence. There is no evidence. But now he changes his tune. He goes, you know, it may be terrifying to you because there is no evidence. <laughs> it, it, it's terrifying is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. Why? The next line. We cannot read the meaning of life passively in the facts of nature. You can't just passively look at nature and look at the facts that it's saying. It says, we must construct these answers ourselves. The quote goes on. He talks about, it says that we are, we are so intelligent that it is our duty to create the answer and evidence. That's the standard. 
The Bible says, in Romans 1.20 says, all of creation, you want to see God go outside. It said, all of creation testifies of the glory of God. And they're saying, right here, the leader, he said, don't trust in looking at nature for the facts. We say what the facts are. Wow. Now, we want to take a look at this because the Bible tells us that we were created for meaning. We were created for significance. Yet today, there are so many people going, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know, I, I don't know if I exist. Especially if you take a philosophy course in college, you question your own existence. What's real? Well, the Bible instructs us that it's God who gives us meaning and purpose. And when the world, the secular world, they think that the utopian, utopic society is one that has no God in it. That you, you, because it's, well, it's just so unscientific. I just want you to know that I think, he, uh, I can pull up Aristotle here. Oh, no, I'm not. You know what? I'm going to wait on that. That whenever you remove something, it creates a void. Said, nature abhors. This, it creates a vacuum. It can't stand a vacuum. Whenever you take God out thinking you're making a superior society, nature sucks it, something else in. Another belief system, another something. I want to take a, a moment. Now, and, and here's a disclaimer. I believe the Bible says in the last days the earth is crying out for the return of Jesus. Okay? Now, you can believe it because it's what the Bible says. Okay? It says all the, the rocks are going to cry out. Though there's going to be catastrophe. I mean, but you know what? I am not saying that there is not global warming. We're going to look at a clip of the Sierra Club going to Congress to ask for money to study global warming. I am not saying this is not about global warming. If you want global warming, you can have it. I'm not saying that. What I want you to look at is the argument, the facts. It is alarming. Take us to Washington. Thank you, Senator Coons. And I'd like to, to go back briefly to Mr. Mayor. In your written testimony, uh, you said that the science behind climate change and its effect on minority communities, quote, should not be up for debate. Uh, I'm curious, is, is the Sierra Club, is this a frequent practice to declare areas of science not up for debate, not up for consideration of what the evidence and data show? If you're right. If you are relying on the evidence and data, you know, the science, the preponderance of the evidence are there. But, but, but that's a different thing than saying we should not debate a question, that the Sierra Club has, has declared this scientific issue resolved and there should be no debate. 
based upon the preponderance of the evidence, the science is settled. But the thing is, is that anything is up for debate, Senator. We can debate anything. Well, you know, I would note that the, even the phrase preponderance of the evidence, having been a practicing lawyer for many years, means 51 percent. That means 49, at least 51 percent is what the preponderance means. Uh, you know, I would ask, for example, if you want to end debate, you don't want to address the facts. Uh, how do you address the fact that in the last 18 years the satellite data show no demonstrable warming whatsoever? Sir, I would rely upon the Union of Concerned Scientists, and I would rely <laughs> upon the evidence, and uh, again, from our own NOAA officials. Uh, the data are there. Uh, is it correct that the satellite data over the last 18 years demonstrate no significant warming? No. How is it incorrect? <laughs> Based upon our experts, it's been refuted long ago, and there is no longer, it's not up for a scientific debate. Uh, I'm curious if, so, so it's, it's I, I want to understand this. I do find it highly interesting that the president of the Sierra Club, when, when asked what the satellite data demonstrate about warming, um, apparently is, is relying on, on staff, so, so you, the, the nice thing about the satellite data is these are objective numbers. Correct. And the numbers over the last 18 years, are you familiar with the phrase, the pause? This is the pause. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes, and uh, essentially uh, we rest on our position. And, and to what you said, you are familiar with the pause, so to what does the phrase the pause refer? Pause. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said you were familiar with that term, so I asked to, to what does it refer? Essentially, it's the slowing of global warming during the 40s, sir. During the 40s? Is it not the term that, that global warming alarmists have used to explain the inconvenient truth, to use a phrase popularized by former Vice President Al Gore, that the satellite data over the last 18 years demonstrate no significant warming whatsoever? Global warming alarmists call that the pause because the computer models say there should be dramatic warming, and yet the actual satellites taking the measurement don't show any significant warming. But Senator, 97% of the scientists concur and agree that there is global warming and anthropogenic impact with but, regards but to the global The problem with that statistic that gets cited a lot is it's based on one bogus study. And, and indeed, your response, I, I would point yeah. to your response, is quite striking. I asked about the science and the evidence, the actual data. We have satellites. They're measuring Correct. temperature. <laughs> that should be relevant. And your answer was, pay no attention to your lying eyes and the numbers <laughs> that the satellites show. Instead, listen to the scientists who are receiving massive grants who tell us, do not debate the science. Sir. I just want you to know that we researched the 
70, the 97% of scientists, he let the a cat out of the bag when he said, a union of like-minded scientists, what they did is they got 79 scientists to, to vote, did they believe in uh, warming? Well, I looked it up this morning. There are seven million active scientists around the world today that are working as scientists, and they got a consensus of 79 of them. And they said, the, the argument's over because we're so smart. When the Bible says, you know what? God has done something that gives us meaning in life. And, and the secularists are trying to take it away. You know, he says, <clears throat> what it sounds like there at the end, it's, remember that movie where the, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> wow. Malcolm Mulgridge said, man has educated himself into imbecility. <laughs> My father-in-law, uh, who had his, he had his master's and working for his doctorate, uh, he would always tell people, he, he was a very humble man, and when they found out how smart he really was, he would just say, well, I've been educated beyond my intelligence, so pay no attention. <laughs> it is an all-out war. And, and to think that they think the Christian is the one against, is anti-science. But what was said earlier is nature abhors a vacuum. Whenever you take something out of nature, nature puts something back in. You cut down a, a forest that's got a huge canopy. There's very little growth at the bottom of it. You cut the trees down, sunlight gets to the bottom. Next year, just nothing but shrubs. You can't even walk under it. Whatever you take out of nature, as I mentioned earlier, and the world wants to, the secular world wants to take God out of the schools, out of our communities, the crosses down, the Ten Commandments, out of the courts, but here's the problem. Nature itself says it's going to cause a, a vacuum, and that doesn't happen to nature. Something is going to fill its spot. These kids are killing, you know, taking guns and stuff like that. Something has been taken out of their life that's restraining them from doing bad things. That's the God factor, that's the spirit. And something is gonna come in right behind it. I had a football coach, uh, old, <laughs> he's from Tennessee, and he'd always tell us these, you know, these little sayings. So we're out there, and he goes, boys, he goes, if any one of you ever think you're so good, you're better than anybody else on this team. Because I want you to get a bucket of water, stick your hand in that bucket of water, Pull it out as fast as you can. Look at that water. And as big a hole as you left in that water is as big as a hole you're going to leave in this organization. <laughs> Took me a week. <laughs> There's no hole. <laughs> what is he talking? Oh. You wonder why I have trouble with Rabbi Zacharias. <laughs> Nature abhors, it hates a vacuum. It fills in. It fills right in. So removing God from the school, removing God from 
the classroom, from our speech at work. Some people are thinking, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's offensive. Trust me, it's created a vacuum and it's allowed other talk to come in. Not as holy, not as righteous. Another belief system, another level of jokes. It creates it. You know, you can just wipe out that coarse language if you just go in and say, boy, I had a great day at church yesterday. Nobody tells the dirty joke. But you remove that, you've created a vacuum. All of creation testifies of the glory of the Lord. Don't pay attention to nature, is what they're telling us. We're smarter. We're smarter than that. Well, for us to, to accept the whole idea of evolution, that we just randomly are here, just ran, you're just, you weren't purposed. And let me tell you why this is so special to me, why this is my wheelhouse. And I've said it many, many times, but it's the reason I'm in the ministry. I grew up in a, a family, my mother is still alive today, and she still to this day introduces me this way. I was born eight years after they stopped having children, and she, this is, and she laughs to this day. She goes, oh, this is my youngest, my mistake. Boy, if that doesn't just put a spring in your step. That's my mistake. We didn't plan on him. And you know what that leaves you with? I left me with a childhood of trying to find significance and meaning because I wasn't meant to be here. I wasn't planned to be here. So my life has no meaning. Well, in it, with evolution, with a godless society, you are just a random thing that crawled out of some ooze a couple million years ago. You wonder why you have no purpose? You wonder why we have so many kids doing crazy things to find significance and meaning in this world? They do these crazy stunts that you'd rock climbing without a safe, you know, without a belay. It's insanity. It is insanity. Casual sex with strangers. That is just insanity. With all the diseases out there. That's insanity. But we're told we can't tell other people of a standard. Because there is none. We're just mistakenly here. There is no God. If there's no God, there's no morality. And if some brilliant person comes up with morality, he can change it with the next guy who's more brilliant. Well, look at the purpose that God has given us. There's many of these verses that are like this. It says in Psalms 8, when I consider your heavens, the work, once again, we're looking at the creation. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them? I mean, Get in your underwear, stand in front of the mirror, you're going, hmm. Now go outside and look at a sunset, and you're going, and he's about this? 
And everyone else that called the cops because you just went outside to see the sunset in your underwear. Okay, so you're going you're gonna to be doing this contemplating in jail. But um, I can look at what God has done. This is super. The scientists to this day can't figure it out, so they have to guess. What is it that you're mindful of this? You have made them a little lower than the angels or God and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. That's his creation. He made us the rulers. What's upside down now? We worship creation instead of the creator. You see, remember, remember I said that that sucking sound? As soon as you take God out, there's going to be something you worship, and it's going to be the creation. Save the owls. I save them all. Save the owls. Save the whales. Save the worms. Save the fish. You know, save everything but money. You know. <laughs> that vacuum took God out. We're going to worship something. Now it's creation. It's creation that we worship. And it's supposed to be us who are taking care of it, not worshiping it. We are to be the stewards of it. I can speak boldly to this because I challenge anyone who is, I hate the word green, but I have worms. <laughs> I really, not on me. I have red worms because they make this incredible fertilizer and soil. I have to get food from my neighbors and I shred papers because they love to eat that stuff. I don't have garbage. Not because I'm trying to save the planet. I want good fertilizer to feed my fish that I grow in a tank. To feed my aquaponics and my hydroponics, why? I like to do it, I'm not trying to save anything. I'm just being a good steward. That's all. Wow. You made us, you made them rulers over the works of your hands, your creation. Put, you put everything under their feet. Do you feeling purpose yet? This is what God created you. God didn't create you to worship the animals. He created you to subdue it and this world, to be successful in this world, to look at what mountain is it you're to win and go win it. Is it business? Is it ministry? Is it parenting? Go and win that. And that glorifies the Father in heaven who said, I created you in my brain before you were even here on earth. That's the reason you were born. It's because I loved you. I foreknew you and said, that's my boy. That's my girl. I loved them before they were created. It's backwards. Every, everything else in the world, they, it's born. You know, and you're going, well, we'll see if we get to like it. You know, he loved us before. That's the reason we were created. Is that not purpose? And he goes, and when you get here, you're here because I loved you. I didn't get that until I accepted the Lord because I was the mistake. But I read in the Bible that he knew me before I was in my mother's womb. That's the reason I'm here.
not because my mother had a mistake. Are you getting it? I go from something being just random ooze to something that was planned to be here because he has a purpose. First, to be loved by God. Changes everything. Those things are supposed to serve me as I serve the Lord instead of I serving them. Everything under your feet, all the flocks, herds, animals of the wild, the birds, the sky, fish, blah, 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 even red worms. I know. What was this created for? To fall out of the back of my truck? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> but that's not why. It was the person who created this going, you know what? I'm creating this odd-shaped thing to go in the back of this guy's truck and it's going to blow off an I-4 and just smash into a million pieces. That's not why that was created. It was created for what? To, to climb, to get up high, right? Why, why was this created? And welcome to Walt Disney World. <laughs> 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 it was made to carry things in. Why was this created? Transportation. Now it could be you could be delivering meals to someone, you know, who's sick or getting away from stealing from the seven eleven. You know. The purpose, what you carry in it, why you climb it, why you ride it, it's up to you. But the person who created this thing created it for transportation. The person who created that created it for you to carry and store things. And the person who created this built it specifically for you to climb and get up high. And the person who created you was God himself for a purpose. Wow. I love the way Jesus, up, up until Jesus coming on the scene, the names of God were pretty much describing what God meant to people. You know, it was Agonai, you know, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, uh, Shama, uh, the, uh, the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my healer, the Lord is my protector. And, and that's what they called him, Jehovah and whatever it was. I, I, I like Adonai. This gives you a chill, it's just a sidetrack. Adonai is the plural for the most high. Adonai, Adon, Adon is God, Adonai is God's. God's the most high. Who was with him? His son. Amazing. <clears throat> so it was what God, is God's character and what God did in the Old Testament. And now there's someone who comes on the scene and says something that no one has heard. He says, Holy Father, I am your son. He said, you're going, you know, God said, I'm going to send the first of, that's going to be able to Open the doors so that I receive many. 
to sonship and daughtership. Jesus hits the scene. Oh, did we miss Romans? Let's do Romans. Ah, we're done with Romans. Nah, it's too good. And we know that all things work together for those who love him, who have been called according to his name for his purpose. You've been called together for his purpose. That is significance. You've been called together for his purpose. You've been created in such a way. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how simple you might be. You were created for a purpose. That bucket is a lot more simple than that bicycle. But you know, both of them have a purpose that God has called them to do. Now we go to Jesus. Jesus says, I have glorified you in the earth. I have accomplished the work that you have given me to do. God has given us something to do. You may not know what it is, but the first step, we have first two steps today. One is to recognize you are here for a purpose. And the second part of that purpose is going to be found in worship. And when I say worship, it's really church life. Worship is when you give. Worship is when you testify of of the Lord. It's not just when you sing. It's any part of the church life. So significance is found when you say to yourself, you know what? I was created by God. It's not just by chance that I'm here. Have you... (laughs) Oh, gosh. Okay, we're not too far off. Have you ever taken your grandchildren or your children or seen the little six-year-olds, the five-year-olds, you get them in a soccer league... You know, this one's, they're in blue, they're in yellow. They all got, you know, the knee socks up to here, the shin guards. And you drop a ball in there. That ball's going that way. Every, all of them, they're trying to kick it even further that way. The goals have no meaning whatsoever. It's just whichever way that ball's rolling, both teams are kicking it that way until it hits the fence and go beep, out of bounds, throw it in, and it goes back that way. And it's just up and down, across and back and forth. And by chance, maybe it rolls into a goal. (laughs) But you know, whenever you do that, you go there, if you're taking your child, I know we take kale, and you, you kick a ball or catch a ball, you go like, Did you see it? Are you proud of me? Did this glorify you? I know it's very simple, but that's who we are. That's who we should be. Those kids couldn't be any more proud because they made their dad and mom proud. They have significance. It brings him significance. I did this for you. I just kicked it as hard as I could. Me. Significance, knowing that you're glorifying your father. Wow. There is no God. You came a ooze. That's what's wrong with people today. 
What's my meaning? What? Hey, you know what I did for you? You know how you say sonship, it, it includes daughtership? I went up there for you ladies. Take a picture, especially cell leaders. This is the feminine side of God. You know, I have a feminine side. You know, I keep it well hidden. But, <laughs> but, but you know what? This, this refers to God as a woman in labor, a woman, a mother suckling her child, a mother who does not forget her child, a mother who comforts her child, a mother. So God has, God in He's the whole picture. So when we say the Father, he also brings the strengths and the beauty of the female in it. Just as when we say sonship, it means a daughtership. Which gets us to number two. Significance is found in worship, church life. Um, actually, church life is absolutely amazing. When you think of the secular world, you can, find, you can have significance, you know, in what you do. Uh, they give you little tiny meanings, purposes. You graduate from college. Uh, you ran a touchdown. You were the sports, you know, famous sports person. You were the Cinderella of the school. Um, you had children. You, had, you can have these little things, but there's so many people who are lost after high school because they're no longer the big kid on campus. There are many mothers who, mothers and fathers who live through their children and they leave and they, they have nothing. And it's like, well, I don't have anything to live for. It's like, what's one of the top reasons people divorce is after their children leave home. So you can get the world, the secular world can give you these little meanings of life, but it's only in the church. From start to finish, from beginning to end, anywhere, any stage that you're going through, the Lord, by his spirit and the word of God, can speak to you where you're at. If you're 15 years old, if you're 80 years old. Because God has called you for a purpose. And that purpose just isn't for one age. It grows, it changes. Um, you know, I like... The existentialist Christian lives for the moment. That's the third service. Woohoo, God! Woo! I want to feel Jesus today. I'm going to worship until I'm sweating the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm just, they're just, it's all about feeling God. You know, and some of us used to be there. I know I did it in the 70s, man. We didn't, we didn't feel an angel or hear a word directly from heaven. We, we weren't satisfied. We just kept praying. And, and then there's the, the nostalgic Christian. This is more the Hebrew. Lives for tra tradition. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb. They, they want those songs. And, they, and a lot of people go to churches like that. But, you know, we get a little mixture of that. But I want you to know in God's word, you get the past also. And there's the utopia in the future. So I'm just living for heaven. I'm, I'm just waiting. Is Jesus going to appear in the eastern sky? And he's going to step through the white horse. I don't know if you've ever met those people too. They just live for heaven. But I want you to know that there's something unique about the church. Is that it deals with these things. So look at this. <clears throat> it says, Jesus is giving this instructions. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, that's present, you proclaim the Lord's death, that's the past, until he comes, that's the future. And if you look at God's words like this, in prophecies, 
Whenever there was a prophecy in the Old Testament, it was revealing about today. It was talking about a God of the past and what's, it's a picture of what's going to happen. You have every bit of it. And, and it, it transcends time. When you're doing things of God, you're not limited to right now as you are in the secular. The secular, you're, you're doing your kids now, that's going to be done. You're in your business right now, that's going to be done. But in the church, we are doing things. We're looking to the past while we're here in the present, waiting for the future. He's a God of what? Today? tomorrow that means you have significance today you had significance yesterday you're going to have significance tomorrow wow holy smoke <laughs> let me do this last week pastor Peter spoke about <clears throat> Arrested development, not with the, uh, forgiveness for your father or didn't have a father, and how that can arrest our development emotionally. Or so, I want you to know that some of you who never had a father, God was being kind because He's the ultimate father. If you didn't have a good one or had didn't have one at all, guess what? He goes, "I'm the ultimate father." I'm not leaving you orphaned. I am not leaving you orphaned or alone. What, however the world and someone has treated you, I am it. But you know what? The secular world, you know, you know how, many, how few people have fathers today? And the world is trying to remove the last one that you can grab hold of to have significance, meaning. I want to just speak to those people who last week you know that Pastor Peter was speaking to your situation. And I want to combine it with today that you've never thought in terms like this. You never embraced the thought that I was created. If I'm here, I have a reason. And the first part is that whatever it is that I'm doing, if you're going out and mowing a yard or cutting a tree down or litigating something for a company, I've, I'm here and I'm, I'm going to do it faithfully, taking the Lord with me. I am going to work within the, the, the way he shaped me and see where I go from there. Now that I recognize I was made for a purpose. And you know what? I just ended up, okay, I'm just, I find myself in this truth and I'm a lawyer. So that shape that you're in now, realize that you're a lawyer. What are you gonna do for God? Or you work for Chick-fil-A. That's your shape for right now. What are you gonna do for God? That you're gonna say, Father, I have come and done what you've given me to do. I give you the glory. I have glorified you in what I've done. Whatever shape you're in, wherever you find yourself, 
Stop saying, I'm stuck. I hate it. I did. Listen, be the bucket if you're the bucket today. See if God doesn't honor you. You become the bike tomorrow. Be faithful in what you're doing today. You were created. Just as, as simple as these things are, if these have meaning in nature, what must you that God is mindful of you? Be encouraged. And shake that thing off that says, I have no purpose. So stand with me. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to speak over you, just as Jesus heard these words twice. And I'm going to add to them. But as we're praying, and you know you're that person who says, you know, I have, I have arrested development in my life. Because of how I was raised, how I wasn't raised. I know that I've accepted that I'm not here for any purpose. That I'm just this random thing. You are not. That's ridiculous. Look at nature. Look at nature is what the Bible says. That doesn't exist. Just be random. Not in God's nature. There is no random. And I'm going to ask the Lord to hear those of you who are speaking this in your heart. That you'll be blessed and you would hear these words from him as I say them. So Father, Lord, hear the hearts that are crying right now. Knowing that something hasn't been right in them. Lord, there's some of us who need to forgive our fathers. Maybe our mothers. For doing too little, doing too much. Whatever the wound is. It's up to us to forgive. Now, Father, I'm going to speak for you. Let the world hear this and know. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I am pleased with you. I have created you. I have made your shape. Walk in it. Glorify me, your father, by doing the work and the shape that I made you. Be faithful in these little. I loved you before you were in your mother's womb. I made you the way you are. Make me proud. Finish this life. Completing what you've been sent to do. Discover it. Discover it. Discover the next stage. There is a past, there is a present, and there is a future. And I'm about all of them. As so are you. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. For these men and women. For those that today realize 
They are somebody. They are somebody in you. And the excitement that comes with walking it out. We thank you. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, come on, give the Lord a hand. Yeah, buddy.